Fed Talks is a podcast for theater teachers and theater education students. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Christman, theater education professor at Illinois State University. Each week I bring you stories and interviews from experienced K-12 theater teachers, current theater education majors, professors of theater education, and teaching artists that will warm your heart, renew your faith in teaching, and provide resources to better your practice in your theater classroom. So grab your coffee or glass of wine, plug in your headphones, or turn up your car stereo, and relax. Thanks for joining me for these heartwarming conversations and practical advice from other theater teachers on the front lines making a difference in their students' lives each and every day. I am very excited to welcome to this episode of Fed Talks Rachel Davis, who is a teacher in Cape Coral, Florida. Uh, they have been teaching for five years, and I am very excited to hear all about your journey and uh, what you have going on down there in Florida. So welcome to the show. Tell us your, tell us, introduce yourself and tell us your story. Hi, I'm Rachel Davis. Um, I've been teaching for the past five years. I taught for a year in elementary school, K through five, and then moved up to middle school for three years. And this, the past two years, I've taught high school, so nine through 12. I didn't come to teaching um, traditionally. I went to school for theater and worked at a hospital for several years and then decided to actually use my degree and a job came open in Florida. So I applied and took it. Well, that's awesome. Well, tell me a little bit about where your passion and your love for theater even began. When I was in high school, um, actually, I'm sorry. No, that's wrong. When actually, when I was in middle school, we went to see the Nutcracker at the ballet. I'm originally from Memphis area. Okay. And every year they took a group of kids to see uh, the Nutcracker at Memphis and seeing the dancers, how they moved and seeing how the sets all moved and the lighting and how it all helped create this really cool thing captured my imagination and made me want to be a part of this world that exists on a stage and to make people happy seeing that just was something I wanted. I knew I wanted to do from that moment. I wanted to be involved in any way possible with that world. And did you, did you do theater in school when, when, when that passion was ignited? I did Um, middle school. I did audition to get into the after school theater club. I didn't make it in. But my high school years, I started in my sophomore year, and I was in theater all the way from my sophomore year all the way to grad school. Fantastic, fantastic. And what was your your area of focus? If teaching was what you went into later, what was your area of focus? So originally, I wanted to be an actor, and I was like, I want want to be on stage and be famous, which I think is kind of what you start out at sometimes. but then as I got into it, I fell into stage management when I was an undergrad and I fell in love with stage management. So that's kind of where I stay at. Gotcha. I occasionally direct, but I love the idea of being able to be the one who helps run the whole show, mm-hmm. sitting there calling cues and organize and write reports and keeping up with everything. So, Well, I would love to hear, because after you shared, after you finished your your degree in theater you started working in a hospital um what was that like for you and what if any are you, skills and experiences do you pull from now from that experience uh so i kind of stumbled into that my mom is a nurse and they were looking for someone just to work on the weekends and i was in school and i was like well i need a job to help you know pay for gas and things so sure, I'll work at the hospital being a unit secretary. So answering phone calls, balancing about 10,000 different things at once. Um, And after doing that for 
10 years, um, I decided I was going to go into teaching, but using the skills of having 20,000 people coming at me at one time at the hospital and answering phone calls and trying to balance doctors and trying to balance nurses coming up to me and patients, families coming up, kind of translated into teaching because I have 25 to 40 kids with me at one time who are asking me 10,000 different things. And then I have the front office calling me. And then I have a principal mm-hmm. coming in my room. And then I have other teachers emailing me questions about the fall show. And it's, it's a constant 10,000 things going on and lots of plates spinning, which is kind of what I did as a unit secretary. But whereas as a unit secretary, it didn't all fall on me. In my classroom, it does. So mm-hmm. it's a little different in that way. Yeah, that, that, that whole jack-of-all-trades notion that we, we've got our fingers in hundreds of different pies at once and managing them all and trying to do it well. I hear that. Well, I, I'm, in, I'm intrigued to know what, um, what um, ignited the calling to go into teaching. Um, like, what made you jump from the, the hospital work to teaching? I have always been a teacher in a way. Um, I've actually done Taekwondo for about 23 years now. And I taught that for 18 years and really enjoyed that. And I've just always enjoyed sharing what I know about with other people. So whether it's teaching a student about this is how you build a flat or this is how we work on creating, excuse me, working on a monologue or whether it's this is how you stage manage. I love being able to share my love of something with someone else and taking the knowledge that I have and giving it to someone else. And that's something I've always loved doing. And so at that time it was like, this is the time to do it. Right. It was, I was, I'd gotten to where I was kind of tired of the hospital and I was like, you know, I've gone to school. I have a degree in theater. How can I use this degree to one, make a living without traveling all over the country and also be able to share my knowledge of theater with someone else who might have the same passion that I do. You threw something out there in that conversation that I'd like to pick up on, if that's okay. Um, the your 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 teaching and interest in Taekwondo. Um, surely your students, if they know, find that fascinating and are very excited about that. So, is that the case? <laughs> they are the ones who um, I have told a few students over the years or some I used to have a sign on my car um, that had Davis martial arts on it and students would see me leaving campus and go what is what's this (laughs) what's the sign on your car I was like well I teach taekwondo and they're like that's so cool (laughs) you show me how to you know kick people in the face not at school I can't no like you see me after school, yes, but not at school, no. So some of them are excited about it. Um, a lot of my boys like to see if they can challenge me to something. So, <laughs> oh, that's fun. That's fun. And surely that discipline uh, that comes with with studying that and and learning that um, has to translate somehow safely into your work as a teacher, right? It does. Um, the idea of being organized and being set in how we do things. Cause again, in Taekwondo, that's kind of how it is. This is the way it's done. We do this, 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 and this. And as a teacher, I have to do that too. Whereas I'm required to do this, 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 and this within my class time. 
that's what set me to go, okay, here's a timer for 10, 15 minutes for us to do this. And now we move to this, to this. So yeah, that very strict, this is how it's done thing and following a timeline and a time frame. Yes, that's helped a lot with being able to create class planners and things like that. Yeah, I can, if my students are even listening to this episode, I can see them right now, the ones who are my stage managers in our program who... I, I see the connections in the work that we do and, and their work is very different than the students who are very acting oriented and, and very uh, organic in their thinking. And um, so I, I appreciate hearing that. And I hope Stephanie's listening right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about your program and, and the work that you do with your students there. So it's actually, I am kind of rebuilding the program mm-hmm. years previous uh, prior to COVID about a year before COVID there was a teacher that was really the choir teacher did one big show a year. And the last show they did was I think Bonnie and Clyde. So it was a really big musical. Um, And then she took an opportunity at a different school and then a new teacher came in and then COVID happened. So it kind of shut things down where she wasn't able to do anything and there wasn't much going on. And then she decided she wanted to go teach at another school. So I came in and and basically starting from ground zero building up so we did our first musical last year and we did your good man charlie brown um and it's just teaching my kids that theater is more than just acting because a lot of my kids that's what they come into my classroom thinking is okay i don't want to act i'm not an actor well you don't have to be look at all these other things i can teach you to do and I love exploring that aspect and having them do that. And also I love the ability of being a new program because then there's not ideas of what we should be doing. Mm -hmm. It's me creating me and my students creating. This is what will happen in years to come. This is where it started. So we set what the traditions will be as we go through. And this year we're going to do, excuse me, Night of the Living Dead is our fall show. And that was my idea to get more kids into my program. And then our spring musical is Matilda. So How fun. That sounds like a fun season. It is. It's a little stressful uh-huh. um, because it's a <laughs> lot bigger than I did last year. Um, but I'm very fortunate. I had last year I had seven kids that came and auditioned for me. And this year I had 38. So that's fantastic. Yes. So a lot of growth, a lot of kids really interested in wanting to do. And some of them were like, hey, I just want to be a zombie. That's fine. I need lots of zombies. You need them. You need them. (laughs) That's completely fine. You can be a zombie and we will paint you to look like a zombie with makeup. And one girl who found out there was a park called Corpse on the Stairs. And it's just someone who lays there for about 30 minutes of the show. And then they get up at the end. She was like, Miss Davis, I want to be the corpse on the stairs. I don't care about anything <laughs> else. I want to be the corpse on the stairs. And I was like, okay, you can be the corpse on the stairs. You made a dream come true. Look at that. <laughs> 
Are you a regular listener of Fed Talks and have always wondered how you can be a guest on the show? Well, this is how you sign up to be a guest on Fed Talks and join the ranks of all the other amazing theater educators that have been on the show. All you do is go to www.fedtalks.com and right at the top of the page, there's a link that says register as a guest. Click that and then you'll be taken to a page where you fill out some information and hit submit. Once you do, you'll be taken to a scheduling link where you can schedule a time to have an interview with me and share your stories and resources here on the show. You may think, I don't really have something to talk about. Nobody wants to hear my stories. You know what? Every single guest who I have talked to has pretty much said the same thing. And we have a fantastic conversation. And hopefully those stories and what you're hearing keep bringing you back. So I promise you, you have things that people want to hear. And I want to hear from you. www.fedtalks.com and click register as a guest. Stop thinking about it and just do it. I can't wait to talk to you soon. Uh, so in in building your program, um, I don't even I don't even know if rebuilding is the right word because you came in with, with as nothing there, right? So in building your program, what do you think have been the the secrets to to that growth over over these couple years? I think the biggest thing is making sure I have a core group of kids that are bought in who can then bring in their friends, which is what has also happened a lot. I have a core group of about six, seven kids that were with me last year and they really enjoyed it a lot. And so they've talked and they've brought their friends in to try to do things we're doing and having their kids buy in. Cause again, me as a adult teacher talking to them and saying stuff, okay, that's fine, whatever. But when it's someone their age group saying, Hey, this is a lot of fun. Come try it. It's a whole lot. It's a whole different ball game. And when I have staff buy-in, which I have a lot more staff buy-in this year because they saw what we did last year, that also helps because then I have other teachers in other classes going, hey, we're having auditions this upcoming week. If anybody wants to do be a zombie or if you want to help build sets or if you want to sing and dance, we have auditions coming up. So as opposed to it just being me saying it over and over again to my group of kids, having everyone in the school, all the teachers bought in to go, hey, do you want to try to be a part of this? So that's the biggest thing when building a program is making sure that you have kids that are bought in and who are enjoying it and having fun and you have staff that also wants to support you and what you do. I'm not a mathematician by any stretch of the word, but like I'm sitting here thinking seven to 38 in your auditions alone, that's, that's 500% growth in one year. Like that's, that's fantastic. You're doing something great there. And I, I'm, I'm so happy for those kids. I would love to hear a little bit about your, cause you've had different experiences from elementary all the way through high school. I'd love to hear what you think are some of those common, common things, the similarities, and then the big differences that you're finding. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed across the three grade levels is even though they are older kids, they are still kids at heart. And that is one thing that I really, being with my little ones when I first started teaching, yes, I expected to have to redirect and constantly be there for them. And middle school, I thought, well, I don't have to do that as much. And high school, I was like, they're high school kids. They're fine. But in actuality, <laughs> they, they need my they need guidance constantly because my high school kids are more insecure than my elementary kids are. 
like with my elementary kids when I was like, all right, we're going to pretend to be cows and they would full out moo and I'm eating grass while they're trying to bite my carpet. Um, my high school kids are like, all right, we're going to do this. I don't really want to. So it's a, it's a memory thing of they're still kids. They're just bigger size of kid is the biggest thing that I had to kind of teach myself that they may not be five anymore. They may be 15, but they still need someone to help guide them to what they need to do and help them feel comfortable and safe in my room. In some of the, the show prep that you sent me, you shared about running a theater competition. So the past, this is my year four, I think three or four of being the district chair for the junior thespians, which is the middle school level. Um, and it is a, a lot when I first, my first time actually running a full competition was last year because COVID years, but having to figure out one first, we always have to figure out our dates and that's me contacting the six or seven different people in our district that are from the county I teach in. There's like four counties around us that are also involved and it's like emailing, Hey guys, let's try to set up a date for all of us to meet which there's always someone who's like, hey, <laughs> I can't make that date. And I'm like, guys, this is the best I could do where I had the most of you. So, but it's coordinating that and then figuring out a location and then trying to figure out, well, how are we going to get 250 kids safely onto a high school campus? Because we host it at a high school normally. Get them safely there. Make sure I have three judges for all the rooms make sure I have permission slips and background checks done for all the judges and making sure everyone's paid and that we've paid the venue. We've paid vendors if they're coming paid for t-shirts and lunch. And it's a to-do list that I have this long of things. I have to make sure I get done before actual date. And then on top of that, I also have to open and close the registration windows on our website. And keep an eye on that and make sure kids are assigned in the right places. And then I have to go in by hand and assign them exactly what times they're in what rooms. So it's a lot of coffee and me staring at my computer for several hours, moving kids to where they need to be. Well, and it also sounds like you're from, from what you shared, your that stage management part of your brain is like is made for that. Like you're the perfect person yes. to do that for them. <laughs> <laughs> It, I will say, yeah, my stage management brain, when I took over as the chair, kind of clicked into place and was like, okay, this is what needs to happen. We've got lots to do. Let's get it. Let's go. And you you have a, an interest and and uh, uh, an aptitude for tech theater. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and your work with your kids with that. Tech theater is where I'm probably most comfortable at. I do a little bit of performance, but tech theater is kind of what I love doing. Um, set building specifically. So I love teaching my kids the process of going from we're going to read a script and now we're going to either design costumes or we're going to design set. So I have a project uh, I call the Dreamhouse Project. That's the first thing we do for design. And it's where I tell them, I want you to give me 25 pictures of if I gave you all the money in the world, what would your dream house look like? And what it allows them to do is their brains start working to figure out what I would want that way, what 
pictures I need to pull to make someone else see my vision of something. And um, I also have at the end of it, write me a paragraph describing your dream house. And that kind of starts the process of them thinking, okay, I have to have research pictures and now I have to describe this thing to someone who doesn't know my brain. That's how I'm going to say, guys, you know, as a designer, you're taking someone else's words and you're bringing it to life, but you have to make sure in your brain it makes sense. This wall being orange makes sense in your brain, but an audience member may look at that and go, why is there an orange looking traffic cone thing on the stage? So I said, it's that idea of being able to make sure that your ideas in your brain translate to the audience. So they can understand everything. I appreciate that that, that view of, of thinking with that. Hey, theater educators, this is Jimmy Chrisman. If you have ever wondered how you can support the podcast in any way, well, I'm about to tell you. Dead Talks podcast has always been and will always be a free podcast that I put out there for you teachers. I know you don't make a lot of money. I don't make a lot of money as a university professor. But if the podcast is something that has helped you out or that you just really want to find a way to support us, this is how. Visit www.buymeacoffee.com slash TEDTalksPC. And there you can make a donation right to the expenses of the show to help offset those costs. I thank you in advance for what you will do. Thank you for those of you who have donated. I appreciate it. And even if you can't make a donation, I still appreciate you. Just continue to listen and continue to share. That website again is www.buymeacoffee.com slash TEDTalksPC. I know right now we are in a, a kind of a crazy political time and <laughs> I in in my interviews this is my fifth season and in my interviews over the last four and a half years now Florida and Texas have it going on for theater education and for me those are kind of like the two hot spots in our country right now of of some of the crazy in my mind um so I would love to know how how you approach diversity and and working with your students in even in these in this kind of turbulent time yeah so i'm sure you know florida is kind of there are a lot of new laws that have gone into place that have kind of changed how i am able to do certain things and and kind of kind of helps navigate what i can and can't do with my kids Mm -hmm. But the biggest thing that I have always done in my classroom and as auditions is I welcome everyone who wants to audition. I don't, I do, you know, I don't like to say colorblind casting. It's, I think color conscious casting is more the correct word. Um, But also I have some students who are transgender who I ask them and we have a conversation about, are you okay if I cast you as a female? Are you okay if I cast you as a male role? And if they're comfortable either way with that, then that's the way I go with them. Um, I had several characters last year in Charlie Brown that were trans who played their, uh, their gender was not what was on paper necessarily. Mm-hmm. And theater is a world where we have that flexibility to allow people to be themselves. And even in high school, where again, I'm constrained a little bit. I still have some flexibility in that where my kids, as I tell them, you know, this is not you on stage. This is someone else. And you get to escape from being your day to day, whoever 
to being this person. Hmm. And that's why I always, there's no reason why when I did Beauty and the Beast a couple of years ago, my beast was an African-American boy. And I actually had some people ask, why did you cast someone who's African-American? Isn't the print supposed to be white? I said, well, there's no, there's nothing that says that anywhere. I said, he was the best kid for the role and that's how he got it. And that's how I always approach things. And my music director, my choreographer, when we look at it, that's what I look at. Who's the best person for the role that can do it the best justice, regardless of anything else. I love how that was very beautifully said about uh, what your role and, and how you get to provide that space for them um, within the realm that you can. And I, I think that was really beautifully said. And I, I appreciate you sharing about um, your casting of Beast when you did Beauty and the Beast. Because, like, I mean, even just recently with the, the again, the the release of the um, the trailer or, or a clip of the of Ariel singing from the future, yeah. The Coming Little Mermaid live. She, yes, Ariel's black. And the, the uproar that came with that, I'm like, yeah. what, is, what is happening? This is a mermaid. Like... It, <laughs> there's nothing that says a mermaid has to be white what are we doing <laughs> and that's i think that's and again my charlie brown last year was african-american too and again it's i think we have this i people have this idea of what has been done in the past but that doesn't mean that's the way it has to be that way yes there's nothing written and i told my kids this stuff when they start designing i'm like there's nothing written in these stories that say it has to be a white girl or a white man that does that at all. There's nothing written in there that states it has to be that way. Now, are there shows that have to be that way? Yes. Of course. West Side Story, Hairspray. Yes, it has to be a certain way. But most of them, there's not really. It's a mermaid, y'all. It's a, it's a, it's it's a, a man fiction. that turns into an animal type man. So it Right. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's what gets me. It's like, you're concerned about that, but not about the fact that it's a person who turns into a monster. You're okay with that, and you mm -hmm. can believe that, but you can't believe it's an African-American man who did that, or that it's a person who is of Asian descent. Like, it's a fictional character that <laughs> it doesn't really exist. <laughs> Well, I I am I'm very grateful for for you and teachers like you who are providing that space for kids. Um, I think that's that's very needed, and and it's a very um, uh, what's the word I want to I want to say? It's a wonderful honor and privilege that we have to be able to do that for those kids. Um, I would love to hear a couple of your favorite stories from your career so far. The funny moments, those touching moments, the horror stories, anything at all. Um, so one story I like to share sometimes was. As my first day of teaching ever, uh, I taught elementary my first year of teaching. And my first day, a student asked, could they go to the bathroom? And this was kindergarten. And I said, yes. And then two seconds later, they said, never mind. And I was like, what, what, what do you mean, never mind? <laughs> and that's when I saw a dark stain appear on my carpet. Oh. And it was at that moment I asked myself, do I really want to teach? This is, is this what teaching is? Because if it is, I don't know if I want to do this. <laughs> but it got, that was the only time that ever happened. Because I started where my kids, when we came in class, I had a bathroom in my classroom. We're going to line up and we're all going to go. 
and then we'll get started with class. Just to nip that in the bud. In the bud. And <laughs> let's just all go to the bathroom, and then we can all get started with class. But I think one of the most touching moments is I've had, it's not just one really, but I've had so many kids who come to me. And one of the reasons why they come to school every day is because of my, of my class and what I do with them after school. I have a student who was with me last year who was not planning to come back to school this year to a public school. She was in new homeschool, but then taking my class last year and being with me after school and everything. She's like, Miss Davis, I'm going to come back to school because you're here. That that's why I want to be here. And having those moments makes me cry a little bit. And then I have kids, you know, some of my kids like the last day of school, they shout and they're like, yay, I'm done with this class. I never have to see that woman again. And then I have one or two that is crying as they leave my room because for them, they got to be themselves. They got to really have fun and explore in my classroom. And that just, it makes my heart so full of the fact that I, as a teacher, regardless of what's going on with administration or anything else, I'm still able to make a big impact on my kids because at the end of the day, that's why we do it. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't do this for the, you know, a large amount of money I get paid. Um, I do this because of my kids and again, I call them my kids as if I'm their mother and my kids, I call them my little ducklings, some of them because they're my core group and Yeah. Well, with all the 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 spinning plates you have going on, and all the fingers and all the pies, how does <laughs> Rachel take care of herself? Um, she is trying to get better at that. <laughs> I think we all are. <laughs> um, usually, so on Saturdays, um, my spouse and our daughter we um, we started this thing probably a couple months ago, uh, where every Saturday morning, because Saturdays is the day we don't have anything Saturdays and Sundays we don't have anything but Saturdays we really we get up at about 10 ish and we go for brunch somewhere and then we spend the day kind of just window shopping around town Uh, or we'll go to the uh, beach if the weather is not extremely hot Um, (laughs) or go to the park with our little one it's just we it's our time And so it's us getting to spend time together without my cell phone going off about this or getting email about this or getting a text about, Hey, where's registration at on the competition? Hey, how do I find this? It's just, uh, I don't take tests. I text people if it's an emergency, but I don't really answer my emails or anything on that Saturday. It's just, it's our time together. And that's really helped us, even though the week may be stressful as it can be that time on Saturday is just a time where I'm not teacher. I'm not, I am Rachel Davis, the mother to my seven, seven year old. That's what I am. And that's what I'm doing that day. Got to protect that time, right? Yes. Yeah. 
Well, my last two questions are the ones that I ask everyone on the show. And the first is, what is a resource that you are using or have used that is a must-have for theater teachers? I think, especially if you didn't go to school for theater education, um, again, understanding how to write lesson plans and how to create, you know, well, I want to do this big thing of them building a model box, but how do I guide them there? (laughs) Um, Drama Teacher Academy is something that I use on a daily basis almost. I will go in and I will pull lesson plans and I may not use all of it word for word, but I it gives me something to start with. And I again adapt it and change it to be my own. But again, someone who didn't go to school for education or educational theater and doesn't know how to write a lesson plan, it has it all there for you. And it is so extremely helpful to have. I would like to tag on with that, if I may. Um, This summer, I shared a lot of the free resources that Theater Folk and Drama Teacher Academy sent out um, uh, regarding um, working with your LGBTQ plus students. And I know know for a fact, because I helped write and design a lot of the things, but for the the paid memberships of Drama Teacher Academy, um, they have even more resources and 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 support for that. So I, we talked about that just a moment ago, and I wanted to put that plug in because I haven't had an opportunity to talk about it on the show yet. So, um, but Drama Teacher Academy, Lindsay and Craig have some amazing things going on there. They do it. It got me through my first year of teaching because, again, like I said, trying to figure out okay, I want my kids to be able to perform a little skit. I don't know how to get them to that point <laughs> or I don't know what, I don't know how to teach how to do a monologue and it's all broken down for you there. And it's, it's great. Um, and as you said, LGBTQ plus, um, that is something that is near and dear to my heart. Um, and that is something that I think is amazing that they have. And I will say if I could use it more in my classroom, I really would love to. Um, however, there are some restrictions in Florida with that. Yeah. And when we were writing all of that, we, 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 all of that was coming down the pipe as we were writing that. So we, we, we tried to keep that in mind and make sure we put the, please pay attention to your, your district and state things that you're, you're allowed to do and, and where your hands are tied. But here are some other ways you can support and, and exactly what you're doing, um, that you shared you're doing with your students. So thank you. Um, and my final question is what are your parting words of wisdom for that new teacher entering this field or the veteran teacher just needing an encouraging word right now? Don't let this moment define your whole, don't let it define your passion for it. Don't let the fact that politicians or other people are talking about this, that, or the other about teachers. Remember why you do it. And there may be days where that may not seem like enough, but when you have that one kid who's like, hey, I can't thank Miss Johnson or whoever enough for the fact that they actually cared. Or you have a kid like my student did who said, I've only come to school in person because of you. That makes all the rest of it kind of melt away. And first year teachers, the first year is always your hardest because it seems like there's 20 million things you have to do and you don't have enough time to do it. As I tell my kids, take it one thing at a time and it will get better. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Rachel Davis, it was a pleasure meeting you and, and chatting with you this morning. And I, I appreciate all that you're doing. And I wish you all the best with this year as you're continuing to grow your program and touch all those kids' lives. Thank you so much. And that is a wrap for this episode of Fed Talks Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please visit our website at www.fedtalks.com where you can find all of the past guest pages with their valuable resources and lots more information on the website for you. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast provider so that it automatically populates in your podcast app so you don't have to miss a single episode. Please rate us, leave us those five stars, review us, tell us what you're liking, and more importantly, share the podcast with all of those theater educators in your life who you think could benefit from what we're doing here on the show. You can email me at jimmy at fedtalks.com and I will always respond. I love interacting with you on there. Visit us on Twitter at Theater Ed Talks, Facebook, the Fed Talks page, and on Instagram, Fed Talks Podcast. Teachers, I appreciate you. I love you. And I am so grateful for all that you're doing and the light that you're bringing to this world. Continue to change those students' lives and continue to make a difference in the world. Join us next week for a new episode. I'm your host, Jimmy Chrisman. Have an amazing week.